welcome to the Donuts and Dumbbells podcast. In this episode, I am joined by Peter Baker, the co-author of the nutrition book, Fat Loss Forever. We talk about Peter's journey into fitness and how the book Fat Loss Forever came to be. We also discuss how storytelling and reading fiction can help fuel creativity and answer some Instagram questions around creating content. So sit back, relax, go on a walk, and enjoy this episode. Hello, hello, hello. I have Peter Baker with me today. And Peter, where in the world are you from and how did you get here? I am originally from Tampa, Florida, and I took a plane. (laughs) I uh, decided to move here uh, probably early 2018 because I didn't really have anything else going on in Tampa at the time, and the lease was uh, coming up on the house. So I called up my cousin over in Bremerton, and I said, hey, I want to come hang out with you and the kids for a bit. And she's like, sure. So I did, and I got here on uh, April 30th at uh, 12.34 p.m., 2018. Very specific. I like it. It was very easy to remember. It's one, two, three, four. Oh, well, <laughs> that does make it easier. Can you tell me a little bit about your fitness journey and how you came to love bodybuilding? Uh, so sometime in 2004, so I graduated high school in 2004. And um, before that, I bench pressed like a couple times. And uh, that's pretty much all I ever did when it came to working out. So I didn't really know anything. And then uh, I graduated high school with a very overdeveloped chest. And in 2005, I think I looked in the mirror when I was in college and I was like, wow, you're a little fat. You should probably go to a gym. So I was living in a place called Plant City, Florida at the time. So I drove to this club called the Athletic Club and I got a membership and I even hired a trainer who uh, was a nice guy, but he took the, the muscle magazines and he would just do workouts from there. And that's what we did. And, um, So, yeah, that's kind of what my workouts consisted of, and I still didn't know much at the time. And then uh, I was like, dude, why can't I bench press more than 135 pounds? And he's like, "Uh, talk to this guy. He's a powerlifter. And this guy claimed that he had trained with Louis Simmons at Westside Barbell. And I don't know if my memories, because it was like 15 years ago, I don't know if my memory's fuzzy on it, but he seemed to know things that would indicate as such when I go back and look at what Louis Simmons talked about, but whether or not he did, I did get stronger and that was cool. But then that stopped because, uh, that guy got arrested for methamphetamine, which is very popular in, um, the adjacent County Polk County in Florida. Uh, if anybody there is from Lakeland, Florida out there, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. So that guy left. And so I was uh, trainerless again, but then there was this other guy who was always carrying around a kettlebell. But I didn't know it was a kettlebell at the time. I said, uh, "I said, what the hell is this thing you're carrying around, this ball with the handle? And so we started talking about strength training. And that's when I started getting into strength training and, and reading about it. And then I uh, kept doing that. And then I was in college. So I started a kettlebell club where I would teach people how to use kettlebells and how to swing and stuff like that. And uh, did that for a couple of years. And then eventually I graduated college, as one does, hopefully, and got a corporate job with coca-cola did that for a couple years got really tired of it and then i was like maybe i should just move on that dream of training people 
and opening a gym. I thought that would have been a cool thing to do. Open a gym. Didn't realize it would like cost a fuck ton of money at the time. But uh, the long story short, 2014, I knew I was going to get fired because I started hating the job a lot. So I just kept no calling and no showing. And before they could fire me because their bureaucratic process took so long, I took a month paid vacation, rented studio space, and started training my first client, who also happened to work at Coca-Cola with me. And then I came back a month later to work at Coke. And then they're like, yeah, we got to let you go because of your attendance. And I was like, okay, well, maybe you guys should fix that stupid-ass policy, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> and then uh, technically I haven't had a real job since, minus a couple bouncing jobs, uh, working security in places back home. Nice. So do you do you coach clients as well then? Do you continue to coach clients as uh, well? I do, I do have a few clients uh, still, but I don't actively promote coaching because I focus more on the, the writing of things and uh, whatnot. Okay. Now, do you think that writing can help people with their own fitness? That's a good question. Uh, I'm not sure, actually, if it can or not. I know it's helpful in general to know how to write because we text people a lot. Uh, we swipe through on dating apps and talk to people via writing and we hang out on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever and write captions and posts and things like that. So it's helpful in learning how to communicate as far as that goes, which I think uh, there's a lot of merit to that. But uh, I haven't really thought if there was like a connection to that. But myself, I always wanted to be a writer ever since I read uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas in 2003 because it was one of the first books that made me laugh out loud. I was like, it would be cool to write. And uh, it was a good book as well. Yeah, I mean, I know that for me, well, and we've talked before, like when it comes to content creation. And I know like if there are coaches listening that you've talked about the importance of reading like fiction, yeah. like fiction books when it comes to creativity, content creation. So not just always reading like the same material, whether it's educational or whether it's um, self-development, but why fiction? Because fiction tells stories and that's how humans communicate. So if you ever uh, tell somebody a story, you can get their attention pretty well. And uh, they might even relate to it, even if it's not a real story. I mean, we watch movies all the time or read fiction books all the time or watch TV shows all the time where it gives you a, uh, a visceral reaction in, in many ways. And you're like, man, I really relate to this character. Or, wow, I've dealt with an asshole like that in my life. Uh, I mean, Breaking Bad. We'll have people gaslight us. Well, hopefully not too many, but some people out there probably have had people gaslight them the way Walter White gaslit people in Breaking Bad, uh, stuff like that. Or you, you read, like, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, and you realize Atticus was a pretty okay guy. You're like, man, that's, uh, I, knew, I knew somebody that virtuous, somebody that good, or uh, something like that. Yeah, I, that actually makes a lot of sense, especially because um, I read, there's a, well, a local author, Kira Jane uh, Buxton, who wrote like her fairly new book, Hollow Kingdom. And I actually, uh, Bergen, she suggested reading it, and I bought it, and few months ago when we had to, before all this COVID stuff and we had to fly to Ohio, I bought it in hopes of actually being able to get through a book while not taking care of my son. And I was able to read the entire thing from cover to cover in four days, just because the way that she, like she tells the story of, and this bird, this crow, 
and him essentially trying to save the world in a zombie apocalypse. So that sounds awesome. It, it's a really good book. I actually am like hoping that she writes another one. So it's, but it made me realize. And after reading that book, it inspired me to start writing a little bit more. And the way that I write, you, I feel like writing can help you express yourself in many ways, just yeah. like fitness can help you express, express yourself in many ways. And uh, so speaking of uh, the stories, um, <clears throat> you've probably noticed a lot of uh, our colleagues who are like, man, this documentary is fucking terrible, blah, blah, blah. It's not scientific. But why do people like it? Because they're literally pointing out anecdotes from the people they're interviewing. And that's why they're so popular because people relate to them. Because like one person's anecdote, like it could fly in the face of a thousand data points just because they sound so convinced whenever they're uh, talking about it. And, you know, like they enjoy themselves because they experienced this particular thing. And people are like, man, that's a great idea. I'm going to try that too. And you'll also notice like, because you've read the stuff that I put out, like I always try to tell stories. Like in Fat Loss Forever, most of the stories that about like the Kellogg's brothers and stuff like that. Uh, there's a bit of a history there, like there's a lot of history there, but it's also a story. And so I try to do that before launching into the, you know, the hard scientific stuff to make people interested in it. Well, and that I know for me, that, that really held my attention while reading Fat Loss Forever. Um, if you haven't heard of Fat Loss Forever, Peter is a co-author in this book with Dr. Lane Norton, and it's a book on literally how to lose fat and keep it off. And the way that the book is written, you can go out and buy it today and read this book and be able to understand it. So there's a lot of dense information, but it's in a way that anybody can really read and understand and apply. So the one thing that I like about the stories that you've told in Fat Loss Forever is that they always kind of coincided with each other when it comes to dieting. Like, some diet zealots, they demonize foods. Other diets, they eliminate foods completely. But the way that you tell the stories of these diets and the way that you use the information to really not, I don't want to say debunk, but challenge what we've learned this entire time is really actually incredible for anybody to understand. So how were you able to take information that is so that we've been told so long is the right way and how have you been able to kind of break that down into not only truths but that's easy to understand for anybody well i think part of it is the uh the storytelling and and relating it back to the things that people may or may not have heard about if they haven't heard about the kellogg brothers or the other guy who did the low carb diet banting that i, I think um if if they haven't heard about that now they know so they're it's important i think it's important to know that these things are not new uh just like now with covid like mass protests aren't a new thing people were protesting mask use 100 years ago during the influenza epidemic of 1918. so i think that helps make things a, a little easier to understand uh and when we know that the, the diet industry itself is not wholly a new thing because we know like Oh, well, these guys were doing health spas back in the 18 whatevers, the 19th century. I, I think that's part of what helps make it more accessible to people. And even then, if they don't like, if they don't necessarily grasp 100% of the numbers and science and all that stuff, they'll get an overall gist of it, which 
for me is honestly good enough. So would you say that you were able to really just take the the nuts and bolts, the the scientific piece and just incorporate storytelling to help people understand. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yes. Yes. Okay. And I, I didn't want to get too heavy on like using analogies because sometimes those can fail drastically. And uh, you want to use them sparingly. But uh, so yeah, you just use actual stories that happened. How did you come to meet Lane and how like how does his knowledge and experience and your knowledge and experience, how did that relationship bloom to be able to make such a good book? Oh gosh, this was like nine years ago, I think I met him. Uh, this is right when I first started working at Coca-Cola and I needed to join a gym. So I joined one that was on the way back home so I could go to it after work. And that was Powerhouse Gym, North Tampa, Florida, off of the corner of Fletcher and Florida Avenue. Uh, fantastic place. Very old. They have a four-way neck machine there, which you will probably not see in very many places. You get in, you set the dial one way, and you could either uh, flex forward or extend your neck, depending on where the dial is, or you can laterally, laterally flex your neck either way, which is very nice. And not only did that powerhouse gym have it, the, the other powerhouse gym in Tampa also had a four-way neck machine. Very underrated machine. I can go on about neck training a lot, but anyways... I was doing powerlifting back then. I was com competing in powerlifting and training for a meet coming up, I think, that December. So I was doing box squats. And I always do box squats heavy into depth. And Lane was doing squats next to me. He'd been there already like six hours because he takes like eight hours to do a whole squat session. So he was already there for like six hours. I stroll in and I'm doing box squats. He's like, hey, your box squats, are the, they're heavy and you're going to depth. I'm like, yeah, it's kind of the goal, right? You know, we had a laugh about it. And – uh you know, we chatted for a bit and it was fine. I didn't even know he was like a famous fitness guy. And then one other time, he also had his own safety squat bar there. I said, hey, can I use that uh, safety squat bar? He's like, yeah, just put it back in the, the closet whenever you're done. I was like, okay, cool. And then it turns out we had common interests and we kept talking and stuff like that. And then years later, I started writing for his website uh, after I'd started training people on my own. And that was fun. And then... His life happened in all the ways that anybody who's familiar with him uh, knows about already, his divorce and all that stuff and other companies he was involved in that didn't want him involved in anymore. And I said, dude, why haven't you written a book yet? And he's like, I don't know how to write a book. I said, it's all right. We'll figure it out. I'll help you out. And so that's when we did the prep guide. And um, that thing was uh, pretty fantastic for competitive bodybuilders. And then he was going to go on Joe Rogan. And uh, he's like, maybe we should do a general population book. So I was like, yeah, that'd probably be a good idea because, you know, the bodybuilding book is pretty niche. So then we did Fat Loss Forever, and that's how that came to be. And if you have not read Fat Loss Forever, I'm going to put a link in the description, and you can just click on the link, and it'll take you right there. Now, this is a book where I'm the type of person where I've actually recently learned, thanks to Peter, that I am a bottom-up learner. So for me, I've always, I've always struggled understanding concepts. I've always struggled in school with academia and reading through literature. I get really bored easily. My mind, like I just, my attention always is diverted somewhere else. And one thing that I love about this book is they have chapter summaries after each chapter. And I was explaining to Peter just actually just this week about some of the, um, 
some of the issues that I have just with reading the information. And I've explained that reading the summaries first and then the chapters were really helpful. And that's when I discovered that about myself. So that was a nice little fun fact. But it's really nice because when you're reading the stories, you actually get drawn in reading about the Kellogg brothers, reading about Banting and like his methodology behind like the low carb dieting. It was really helpful to have some context into why we choose the diets that we do and who created them. It is a book that is 100% worth reading if you are serious about not only losing fat, but being able to keep it off. I appreciate the kind words. How was it? being like for you on the storytelling part, how was it integrating that with the science? I don't know. Honestly, for me, it always kind of worked because I always wanted to, um, I don't know, maybe it's part of, maybe it's something that slipped through or seeped through, crept bled through because uh, of my religion degree because religion's full of stories. So I read so many stories and the scholarship there has us reading stories and stuff like that. So I, I don't know. It always just seemed pretty seamless to me and I like stories. I mean, most people like stories, but I really like stories because I fucking love reading. So yeah, I don't know. It was, uh, it was pretty easy for me. Cause then you'd say, all right, so we have this thing. Here's how we can make it more relatable. We did have a few questions from the Instagrams. I don't know if that's how the cool kids say it, the Instagrams or IG or the gram. Or... Well, I, think it's a, I think it's actually singular. Singular. Not, oh, not, Instagram, not plural. no plural. Yeah. <laughs> so actually the one that I like was uh, the friend slash former client. She's uh, She wanted to know like, uh, like if coaches should follow clients on social media and vice versa and uh, – do comment exchanges on social media help or hinder the coaching relationship or process? Are coaches held to a higher standard of professionalism or authenticity in their posting? Uh, some reveal nothing of themselves uh, and they only showcase their clients. And then there's others in between. And then there's others who reveal everything. Uh, what you, what, actually, what do you think about that? Me personally, I feel like there's a fine line. Like I follow a lot of my clients on social media, mainly because when I work with clients one-on-one, -on -one, like we develop a rapport and a relationship. Now that doesn't mean not to have professional boundaries, but for the most part, I mean, I follow my clients on social media, but I also try to keep my opinion of what they're doing outside of their session to myself because they know deep down what they're what they're doing and what their choices are. So um, when it comes to myself and like my social media, I like to try to be as relatable as I can and, and fairly transparent. I mean, I'm not going to go on and talk about everything, but you know, I, I think it is a highlight reel for most people. Um, but when it comes to content, I'm the type of person where I post really just about what I do for a living and maybe a couple of cute pictures of my dogs and my kid. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'll follow clients and they'll follow me. But when it comes to like the professionalism, I mean, if you don't want your mom or your grandma to see it, then I don't post it. Does that make sense? <laughs> that, that does make sense. Uh, I, I mean, if you want to follow clients, do it. If not, don't, I will follow them because sometimes it's an easy way to communicate. Um, Say you go out of the country and you can't text message them. You can reach out to them through Facebook Messenger. 
So sometimes it's, it's practical like that. Uh, some people also post form checks and tag their coaches in it, and I think that's cool if they do it on social media like that. So in that way, it can help, and I think that's a pro. Uh, the con is, and I know this has kind of been a letdown for me sometimes and an even bigger letdown for other people, uh, sometimes you might find out your coach is a piece of shit. And that's not fun to find out. That could be heartbreaking. Or you can find out they're a really great person, which is the opposite of heartbreaking. It's fantastic. So more do at your own risk. I will follow anybody. And I tr I personally try to put out a sense of what people are getting when they follow me. I even say it in my bios and stuff like that. And most people who come to me, they've come to me through, through something I've read. So they kind of know what they're getting into. So nothing's really a shock at that point. And if it is, sorry, I would apologize, but I'm not sorry for it. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, uh, so I, I usually do, but I also overshare everything and there's not anything I won't talk about. Um, there's also a strategic reason for that too. Um, there's a guy from Florida. I'm not going to say his name because I think he's utterly reprehensible right now. But one of his uh, good pieces of advice was to literally repel people you don't want to work with. And I think that's great because at the other end, you can attract people you want to work with. And uh, it's worked for me. Like you could probably look at my social media feed and figure out who I don't want to take money from and who I will want to take money from and who I would absolutely love helping versus uh, not helping as for how much you reveal on a personal level it depends on how you know sometimes it's important to relate to people so you might have a personal anecdote to uh share that can that can help them basically it's all discretionary yeah i definitely think that it's it's really up to the individual and what you're comfortable with putting out i mean i could see how if you're a coach that only shares or if you're following a coach that only shares like their client success you know, that's great. They maybe are really trying to, you know, separate their personal life from their professional life. And sometimes for some people that works, but I know for me personally, you know, I want people to know that I'm also a human and that, you know, I'm also not the smartest person in the world. Like there are going to be people that don't agree with me or people that don't, um, see nutrition or fitness the same way. And that's okay. Cause just like Peter said, you know, there's, those are probably the people I'm not going to want to work with anyway. So and like I personally hired my coach, not only is he a good coach, but I hired him beyond that because I know what kind of person he is. Shout out Brian Cron <laughs> from Canada. <laughs> I think that's important. I, I, I do think it's important to kind of get to know your coach and know what you're getting into before handing money over to somebody. So those are my two cents on that. Yeah. So I, I, I think we feel mostly the same about that. But yeah, I will overshare anything as anybody who follows me on social media already knows. <laughs> I mean, maybe I don't share enough. That but enough is relative. Enough is pretty relative. It's a relative term. Yeah, enough is pretty relative. I share what I'm comfortable with sharing. I'm not going to share, you know, I'm not going to share the really shitty moments when I'm having a bad day and I'm, you know, crying on my bathroom floor because my son was being kind of a turd that day. But I, I will tell you that my son's being a turd, but I'm not going to, you know, share in the sense of use Instagram or Facebook as a therapy session. Yeah. And believe it or not, I've actually toned down what I share since like three and a half years ago. If you find that hard to believe, I, it makes sense. <laughs>
So we had another Instagram question. So what does that one look like? They wanted to know how to preserve strength while losing weight. And um, the first thing you have to remember is that strength training is neurological. It is a big movement pattern versus something like playing a guitar, which is a small movement pattern, right? So you're training your nervous system to get good at these things uh, by repeating them or practicing them, which is why practicing is generally a good thing. And so as you do that, your nervous system is like, oh, wow, I could do this. And it gets easier. And then you increase the weight and then you repeat the process, so on and so forth. So that's really it. You just have to keep practicing while you're losing weight. Now, the thing is, too, this is where some experiments, experimentation comes into play, because as you lose body mass, you, the way you move will become different. So like uh, your your squat, let's say, as, as, you're, as you're dropping uh, body mass, it's not going to look like it will, you know, 20 kilograms lighter and stuff like that. So that's also why you have to keep practicing this sort of thing. Uh, so you can keep that movement pattern retained, right? And most people call this muscle memory. It's a motor pattern ingrained in your nervous system. So constant practice, that's how you do it. And the same for your bench press, same for your squat, same for anything, right? And then we have these four stages of learning. Uh, you start off with uh, the section of unconscious incompetence, meaning you're doing stuff wrong. You don't know what you're doing. And then you get better and better and better. And then you have a... Uh, unconscious competence, I think, or conscious incompetence. I might've gotten it flipped, but either way, you're at the point now where, hey, I did something wrong. I can correct this next time. And then you have uh, another one where you're, you're doing it, but you're still thinking about it. So your conscious competence, that's the third phase, right? So you have to really think about what you're doing to make, to be good at it. And then you have a uh, unconscious competence whereas that's just like it's effortless so like a your favorite olympic weightlifter when you watch the olympics goes out and does a barbell snatch they make it look like it's the easiest thing in the world that's the level they're at practice 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 when it comes to strength now um with the question i think a, a way to maintain strength as well i mean if, if that's what you're looking for with strength absolutely practice 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 if you're if your mind is thinking like muscle or muscle mass, that that's a little bit different. So in order to preserve muscle mass while losing weight, I mean, the one thing that I would recommend is just eat, eating a high protein diet to preserve lean body mass. Yeah, that's pretty much it. That's really what you need to do. Yeah, do, do that. You'll, you'll be fine. But for the actual strength, yeah, you just have to keep practicing it and you will keep getting stronger. And then there will be a point where adding muscle mass will help you, but you can get a lot of mileage before you actually have to do that. Exactly. And, and that's weight a different classes phase. also come into play too. If you compete in a weight class sport and all that stuff, but, but that's basically it. Just keep practicing. Yeah. Keep practicing. And then there are different phases. You know, you can go into a fat loss phase and like Peter said, you know, you can get so strong, then you're going to want to put on mass. Then you're going to go into like a mass gain phase that's where you can get stronger. Yes. As soon as you gain muscle mass, you have more mass. You can get a little bit stronger, rev up your metabolism just a little bit. Good stuff. Yeah, see, there was another uh, answer. They wanted to know what I think of uh, health at every size, the health at every size movement. Basically, the fundamental premise I think is great is that everybody, regardless of 
how big or small they are deserves dignity in how they're treated, uh, especially by medical professionals. Because uh, you'll hear a lot of stories from uh, folks within that movement where maybe they're carrying a little extra body fat <laughs> and um, they'll go to a doctor and the immediate knee-jerk response is lose weight. And uh, a lot of people get things ignored because of that knee-jerk response. And then they'll have to get second opinions, third opinions to find out like something that's actually wrong with them beyond, you know, like besides their weight, if that's even an issue, because sometimes it's not an issue. So yeah, some people can be healthy at bigger sizes and smaller sizes. So I don't really find it as an issue. Of course, there are people who take it to an extreme level and talk about how intentionally losing weight is a bad thing or whatever, but I fundamentally disagree with that because telling somebody that they shouldn't intentionally lose weight limits their autonomy as a human and should never do that. So that's pretty much what I think about that. Yeah. And I would say when it comes to health at every size, I mean, I definitely think, you know, there I've, I've heard stories from clients and friends personally, where they go to the doctor and the knee jerk reaction is to tell someone to lose weight, whether it's, you know, a diagnosis or, or not. Um, things like PCOS, stuff like that. Yeah. You know, weight loss can definitely be beneficial to improve your health, but yeah, anybody can really be healthy at any size if they don't have any pre-existing conditions and shouldn't treat it differently. So we got another Instagram question. I think this is the last one. Yeah. Uh, let's see. But uh, when it comes to social media, blog posts, et cetera, what is more important, quality versus quantity? Because a lot of people say to post every day. Some people say to post small, digestible things until you build trust slash readership instead of long posts that requires ask your audience to invest time to read. I guess your opinion on those things. Uh, I think I get the gist of what they're saying. Here. Um, the first thing I always want to do is have quality. So I want to give people something they can use more often than I don't. Uh, somebody who's really good at this, uh, do you follow Dr. Spencer Nadolsky? I do, yes. So Love if you don't, stuff. follow him, because he's actually he's actually like a, an obesity specialist, and he's a, he's a doctor, and he's really good at what he does. He's also very good at giving people actionable tips on how they can re reduce their body fat if that is their goal. So as an example, one of the things like he'll – and he could do this in a very pithy way. He'll he'll do this. He'll say, um, uh, you know, if you're looking to lose weight and you still want to get all your nutrients, uh, make sure half of your plate is full of vegetables and then, you know, like meat and starch and the other half of the plate. Boom. Do that. Uh, or also maybe eat, drink a protein shake for lunch. It's a very actionable, easy tip that you can do. So you always want to give, in my opinion, somebody something useful that they can do. So like – if you're talking about how great bicep curls are, maybe teach people how to do a bicep curl and then go a video along with it, something like that. So to me, that's quality. It's not necessarily lengthy, which nothing necessarily has to be lengthy on social media or a blog post, but I, I think it should be generally useful. And as far as quantity, I think that comes from a mindset from some people of, not wanting to be forgotten, but to that, and this is why I share so much about my life and who I am as a person, uh, people won't forget who I am just because of who I am as a person. So I can go a little bit without posting every day 
and I don't have to worry about it. And it also makes it to where if somebody tried to plagiarize me, they wouldn't be able to because they get found out in a second just because I am me and I write like me. I don't write like a fucking dork. <laughs> so you want quality and don't force anything. Like, yeah, there are ways where you can get inspired. And I've talked about that. Um, like, you know, find out where the people you're catering to are hanging out on the internet and then see what they're talking about. And then that'll give you ideas. And then you can go and write about it for days, weeks, months, or even years. And then you go from there, but I wouldn't force anything. And I would only do things whenever you have something to say, which at various points in your life, that could be daily. That could also be um, monthly. So yeah, it, it depends, but I would say never skimp on quality on anything. Give people something useful. I would agree on that. I, I definitely say quality is definitely important. I mean, I look at it as, when I, when I put out content, my first thought that I have to ask myself is how is this going to help someone else? And the second that I have that reasoning, that's typically when things just kind of happen to flow. So I would also say quality too. I wouldn't say just put things out just to put things out. I would, I would say put things out and really think about why you're putting it out. And if you don't know how to, how to write, what what would what advice would you give someone to someone that's new to writing? Uh, well, first you have to read a lot. That's really important, and that's also why I like reading fiction. I don't think you'll necessarily be a great writer if you read a bunch of academic texts if that's your jam, because most of those are boring as shit and they're not particularly well written for a mass audience. Um, they're well written for an academic publication, but not for mass consumption. Though there are times where people managed to merge the two. I did have uh, three professors in my religious studies degree who were very good at that. And uh, their stuff was actually engaging and fun to read, wasn't a slog, uh, had a good time overall. So the first is to read a lot, and then you'll figure out structure and things like that subconsciously. And then to actually figure out what you wanna say and try to say it, just write it down. It's gonna suck at first. My stuff still sucks. But then you still do it. You'll get better at it. Just like strength training. It's, you know, it's the neuro part. You got to keep practicing. Yeah. And one place that I recommend a lot of people start, if you know, if writing is the, the biggest issue, definitely start reading and reading fiction. But also start, like, I know for me, journaling helped a lot. Getting that's my a, thoughts down. That's a down. great idea, yeah. Yeah. Because that's, that, that's pretty much what it is. And journaling is less structured than um, maybe something you put on Instagram or something in a blog post. And uh what have you but yeah write it down in a journal and then also making an outline helps especially if it's something a, a bit longer that's nothing that anybody ever did when they were in school but they should have done and then like i realized it later I was like wow i should have done this this whole time when i was in school should have made an outline that's that's one thing that i actually have learned as well like reading reading things out okay writing them down outlining breaking it down by topic subject that can be really helpful so definitely start with journaling I know for me, when it came to just beginning in fitness and well, going, you know, I struggle with my own issues around food and whatnot. And, and that was one of the first things that like my therapist had me do was start journaling. And once I started writing things down and allowing myself to, to actually let my thoughts be free and able to flow a little bit better, 
Then I've noticed a lot more things in my life got easier, including fitness, being more creative with programming. You know, things like that have actually gotten easier as well. So yeah, I, see, definitely, I, never, I never would have put that together. And that makes sense why you asked that question at the very beginning now. Yeah, <laughs> now. Yeah. A few minutes later. But yeah, I mean, I know for me, like it really helps with being just thinking outside of the box and, and reading will help you do that, too. So reading things, you know, if you enjoy a topic. I know for me, like I really enjoyed nutrition. So if you ever sit down to just read a nutrition book, it's a really hard thing to do. Yeah. If there's, if there's like, I mean, I, I'd start reading a nutrition book and then start thinking about all the shit that I needed to do around the house. But the way that the storytelling aspect happens in, in fat loss forever, it captivated my attention. So going back to the Instagram question with quality, I, I think it's really important to make sure like that if you are putting out content and it's quality content that also needs to be captivating. And then for God's sake, don't, don't do that same dumb shit. Everybody does. We're like, what's your biggest struggle in fitness? It's literally the dumbest question that people try to sucker engagement out of people. It's also the most useless because how are they going to help everybody like who responds on a fucking post like that? You have to be a little bit more specific. Yeah. yeah. Definitely, like, specificity is important. So you mentioned powerlifting, Peter. I did not know that you tried powerlifting. Yeah, I did. I think my last meet was uh, almost eight years ago. Okay. Now, have you ever done a bodybuilding show? I have not, but I do take half-naked pictures and put them on Instagram. Well, so people always ask me. For one, I posted about this the other day. Bodybuilding originally, along with strength sports, was very gay. So I want to bring it back to that. So that's why I do the boudoir photos. Right. Plus, I don't like uh, when you go to a, a bodybuilding show with like a several day long affair, thousands of dollars spent, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You get oranged up uh, on Friday, can't take a shower that night and you're sleeping like just flat <laughs> on your back in a row, hoping to God your, your, your fucking tanning shit doesn't smudge. And then the next day you smell like shit. You wake up at 4 a.m. on a Saturday uh, you got to go get retouched up on your tanning. Then you do the pre-judging in the morning. Uh, in most things, uh, the, I did have, I did go handle a client at a WBFF. Did I say that? Is it WBBF? I think it's WBFF. WBFF. Um, at a WBFF show and they did not do pre-judging. So that was kind of cool. No pre-judging there, but most of the time you'll do the pre-judging in the morning and then you got the nighttime show. And then so like in between the two, you like you go back and you lie down and hope you don't smudge your bullshit again and then get your hair done and all that stuff. Uh, especially if you're, you're a female competitor, you get the hair done and the jewelry and the makeup and all that stuff. Yeah, it's a lot. I don't want to do it. I, I do not want to do it. So I'd like to take the different route, do the same process of training and dieting, but take fun photos. That sounds way more fun. I mean, I did one bodybuilding show and it was just, it's, it's stressful. Yeah. It's extremely <laughs> stressful. And, and part of that too, uh, I, I know I mentioned my coach, Brian Cron earlier. I know he, and maybe that's where I got the idea to do a photo shoot from with him. I can't remember the timeline on it, but it might've been, we'll say it was from him, but I know he's suggested to his clients, like, you know, he talks them out of competing more often than he talks them into competing because of how stressful it actually is especially since he like his market is typically people who are over 40 who are established in life and have kids and blah 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 that kind of thing so for them something if they already have a stressful life 
and just doing that is just going to add way more stress. Absolutely. I mean, it's and it, it is stressful as it is. You're hungry. You're miserable. You don't feel like boning anybody. It's it's just a lot. Well, and like yeah, the constant hunger. And I know that like for me, I just I wasn't fun to be around. I was not fun to be around. You're pissed off all the time. You gotta you're, get all your hair removed if you're if you uh, have a lot of body hair and stuff. It's crazy. And it's expensive. If you're not a professional and you don't have sponsorships or anything like that, like the suits are expensive, the posing is expensive, the coaching is exp everything is just expensive. And then you gotta pay for your fucking membership into the WBFF or the NPC for the for the year, all that stuff. You gotta pay for hotel rooms if you travel. Which is also a, another wrench into it, uh, the whole thing. Airplane tickets. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's, I only did one, but I, I think that would probably be my last. Because afterwards, like, there's also the whole other psychological aspect afterwards where that a lot of people struggle with. I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot of people where, you know, mentally, they, they really fucked up after the show when they start gaining weight and start putting putting pounds back on. A lot of people get this idea that they're going to stay that lean for a long amount of time. And you're not you're not meant to stay that lean for long periods of time. <laughs> no, you're not. And uh, and I mean, we kind of address that in Fat Loss Forever about why the a lot of diets fail. Same reason. Same thing happens to competitors, just at a very extreme level. Very much so. And. And the thing I think I love most about Fat Loss Forever, the big things that are preached very much through the book is the sustainability and the adherence to whatever, I, I like to say nutrition lifestyle versus diet, because really, I mean, diets aren't for life. Your diet is the thing that is everything you put in your freaking face hole for 365. That's what your diet is. Just like this Coke Zero we had today. Yes, cheers. It's a part cheers. of our diet. It's a part of our diet. Will always be. And the donuts. Yeah, the donuts were awesome. The donuts, man. The bacon maple bar. You can't you can't get much better than that. Yeah. I don't know. Yours looked pretty good, though. Yeah, it was pretty good. I like <laughs> Captain Crunch donuts. So, Peter, are you ready for five rapid-fire facts? Or wait, no, six, right? We, we have gotta, six because... We have six. Uh, because uh, my friend T Bird wanted to know, well, we can we can get to that one first. He wanted to know what my spy code name would be and where I would, uh, what I would choose for my preferred location for a dead drop, which is very fitting because I've been rewatching Breaking Bad again and they do dead drops of meth uh, at various points throughout the the television show. So I would think I would go with my middle name, DiGiorgio, and then I would. Uh, probably just choose some greasy spoon as a uh as a as a dead drop because i like diners i like it all right mine aren't that interesting i'm, I'm just gonna t-bird is a very clever guy <laughs> he's also a very good writer too uh, he, he's a uh, i call him t-bird but his name is actually uh tanner bays here we go what is your favorite food it's a toss-up between pizza and tacos because they are the most diverse foods out there you can you can literally make them anything you want that's true. You can have, you can have taco pizza. You can. You can have taco. That's actually a thing. So I like that answer. What is your favorite exercise? Bicep curl of any kind. Bicep curls of any kind. Who or what inspires you? Good question. <laughs> Hunter S. Thompson. All right. What is your favorite book? 
probably Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. If not, it's definitely up there. I was going to say, yeah, you mentioned it in the very beginning. Handmaid's Tale was also very good. Oh, Handmaid's Tale is amazing. That is an amazing book. And the last and final question, what are you most proud of? I think at this point in time, it's honestly Fat Loss Forever. I know we've talked about that book a lot. Uh, right now, I think uh, I think that's the thing I'm most proud of. I don't want to be in fitness forever, but I can leave and say, I did that and that was cool. Yeah. And be satisfied with that. I love that. I appreciate it. I appreciate you coming on today and coming over and oh, enjoying anytime. a Coke Zero and a donut. So yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> we literally don't live very far. So yeah, this can happen anytime. I like it. We're going to have to do it again sometime. Excellent. All right. You guys have a good day and we will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Donuts and Dumbbells podcast. It was a blast being able to chat with Peter and we are both in the Seattle area. So we were able to do this podcast in person together. We were able to enjoy a couple of ice cold Coke Zeros and a couple of delicious donuts. I mean, I do love donuts. It's the Donuts and Dumbbells podcast, right? But I will put my affiliate link in the description below. Yes, I do get paid, but that doesn't change the price for you when it comes to the book. So I hope you'd enjoyed this episode. Talk to you soon. Thank you.